Tonight's scripture reading is from the Gospel of John, chapter 7, verses 37 to 39, and then also from the book of Ezekiel, chapter 47, verses 1 to 12. We'll start with John. On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, Out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive. For as yet the Spirit had not been given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. And now moving to the book of Ezekiel. Then he brought me back to the door of the temple, and behold... Water was issuing from below the threshold of the temple toward the east, for the temple faced east. The water was flowing down from below the south end of the threshold of the temple south of the altar. Then he brought me out by way of the north gate and led me around on the outside to the outer gate that faces toward the east. And behold, the water was trickling out on the south side. Going on eastward with a measuring line in his hand, the man measured a thousand cubits and then led me through the water, and it was ankle deep. Again, he measured a thousand and led me through the water, and it was knee deep. Again, he measured a thousand and led me through the water, and it was waist deep. Again, he measured a thousand, and it was a river that I could not pass through, for the water had risen. It was deep enough to swim in, a river that could not be passed through. And he said to me, Son of man, have you seen this? Then he led me back to the bank of the river. As I went back, I saw on the bank of the river very many trees on the one side and on the other. And he said to me, This water flows toward the eastern region and goes down into the Ariba and enters the sea. When the water flows into the sea... The water will become fresh. And wherever the river goes, every living creature that swarms will live, and there will be very many fish. For this water goes there, that the waters of the sea may become fresh, so everything will live where the river goes. Fishermen will stand beside the sea, from Engedi to Eneglaim. It will be a place for the spreading of nets, Its fish will be out of very many kinds, like the fish of the great sea. But its swamps and marshes will not become fresh. They are to be left for salt. And on the banks, on both sides of the river, there will grow all kinds of trees for food. Their leaves will not wither, nor their fruit fall. But they will bear fresh fruit every month, because the water for them flows from the sanctuary. Their fruit will be for food, and their leaves for healing. The word of the Lord. David Brooks, a New York Times columnist, wrote a column last Sunday called The Moral Bucket List. And here's the introduction. About once a month, I run across a person who radiates an inner light. These people can be in any walk of life. They seem deeply good. They listen well. They make you feel funny and valued. 
You often catch them looking after other people, and as they do so, their laugh is musical, and their manner is infused with gratitude. They're not thinking about what wonderful work they're doing. They're not thinking about themselves at all. When I meet such a person, it brightens my whole day. But I confess I often have a sadder thought. It occurs to me that I've achieved a decent level of career success, but I've not achieved that. I have not achieved that generosity of spirit or that depth of character. Well, when I read uh, that account of this kind of person, this other-oriented person where life flows from him or her into another, uh, of course, I, th- I thought of the Bible. I thought of John seven thirty-seven to 39 where Jesus says that when we come to know Him, when we come into union with Him, when we come into relationship with Him, this life-giving river of the Spirit flows from us into others. Wow, what a, what a picture of, of, a, of a fruitful life. This is the kind of person uh, whose life is, is always awakening life in someone else. You know somebody like that? Bet you do. He's the kind of person whose life is always a movement towards others and away from self. She's the kind of person who is always making everyone around her better. He's the kind of person whose life leaves a wake of healing Redemption and renewal. Where does that kind of life-giving power come from? Uh, Brooks's essay is brilliant. It explores a number of different practices we can cultivate to try to uh, become more of that kind of person. But as a Christian, of course, my thought was the source of that kind of other-centered, fruitful life is the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit is the giver of life. Now, we've been asking this question, how can we pursue oneness even when we are a theologically diverse congregation? And uh, this has been our answer. All Souls wants to be a church where Christians who disagree about important questions of biblical interpretation can live together in loving unity. We strive towards this vision by affirming the Nicene Creed and Respecting, challenging, and learning from our brothers and sisters who interpret the Bible differently and non-creedal issues. And since the creed is our doctrinal statement, we've been going line by line through it. Um, And tonight we come to the third line of the creed where it declares, We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, and giver of life. What I want to talk to you about tonight is the Holy Spirit as the giver of life. Life. Jesus says he is the life-giving river that flows out of the believer's life. He also says that this happens as Scripture says. Now, where does Scripture say that? Well, Scripture talks a lot about the Holy Spirit as life-giving water. Jesus says to the Samaritan woman at the well that he'll make her into a spring of water welling up eternal life. Isaiah prophesied, you shall be like a watered garden, like a spring of water whose waters do not fail. And so 
This idea of the Holy Spirit as life-giving water is all through the Scriptures. But the passage, uh, as far as I can tell, that seems closest to the one that Jesus had in mind is from a rarely read portion of a rarely read prophet uh, named Ezekiel. Ezekiel prophesied in the 6th century B.C. when the city of Jerusalem was besieged and destroyed. Uh, he prophesied before and after the, uh, the attack by Nebuchadnezzar and his armies. And the book of Ezekiel is not an easy book to read. It's a, it's a number of prophecies and visions. And the first half are primarily visions of warning and judgment before the fall of Jerusalem. And the prophet is, is, is saying, uh, you better get right with God or you're going to be disciplined. And then the last half of the book of Ezekiel are prophecies and visions of hope and renewal and restoration, where God is saying to the prophet, one day I'm going to do a new thing and renew you and, and give you hope and joy. Now, the vision that we're looking at tonight is the longest one in the book. It begins in Ezekiel 40 and goes all the way through Ezekiel 48. Let me just read the, the opening words. In the 25th year of our exile, at the beginning of the year, on the 10th day of the month, in the 14th year after the city was struck down, on that very day the hand of the Lord was upon me, and he brought me to the city. So Ezekiel is uh, in a concentration camp, uh, a refugee camp in what we would call Iraq. And the Spirit falls upon him and takes him in the Spirit, transports him back to uh, what the Scripture says is a high mountain. In visions of God, he brought me to the land of Israel, set me down on a high mountain on which was a structure like a city to the south. And when he brought me there, behold, there was a man whose appearance was like bronze with a linen cord and a measuring reed in his hand, and he was standing in the gateway. And the man said, Son of man, look with your eyes and hear with your ears and set your heart upon all that I show you, for you were brought here in order that I might show it to you, declare it to the house of Israel. Now what happens next is uh, he's on top of this mountain, high mountain, probably Mount Zion. And remember, at this point, there is no longer a temple. There are no longer walls. There are hardly anybody, there's hardly anybody living there. And, and yet he's having this vision of the temple being renewed and restored on top of Mount Zion. And for eight chapters, the angel takes him through the inner court, through the outer court, to the altar. Ezekiel was a priest himself. Talks about how the sacrifices are, are going to work in this new temple. Now... A significant part of this vision, we need to do a little bit more background. In chapter 11, Ezekiel has a prophecy right when horrible things are happening in Israel. And the prophecy is of the glory of God departing from Israel. In other words, the Spirit of God, the presence of God leaving Israel. And in chapter 43, he has another vision of the future temple where the glory of God returns. Now that's important to the vision we're going to look at tonight because this is a, a prophecy of a renewed temple of God where God's Spirit is dwelling fully. Now that's important because Paul wrote the believers in Corinth, Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's Spirit dwells in you? And later he says, We are the temple of the living God. So for Christians, Ezekiel's prophecy has been fulfilled on Pentecost 
the Spirit came to dwell in the temple of God, which is you, which is the church, which is your heart. And so this is a vision really about you. It's a vision about the church. So now maybe we're ready to to take a look at this vision a little more carefully. It starts at the door of the temple, and it says that water was issuing from below the threshold of the temple toward the east. Now, there's a lot of directions in this vision. What's the significance of it? Well, uh, you can't really get on top of Mount Zion today because the Dome of the Rock is there, and uh, nobody can get up there, but you can still look at a map. And the east of Mount Zion is a desert. And the desert goes down in a valley until you get to the Dead Sea. So that's the background here, is water is flowing out of the temple down into the most barren desert you've ever seen. Uh, We took a tour over it. I studied over there one summer. I walked through it. Uh, I don't know of a desert in America that's anything like it. It's it's, it's like, it looks like the moon. It's, there's no life there at all. And I think that's significant because it, it, the river here, obviously flowing from the presence of God, is flowing to the most lifeless place around it. And I think that's a spiritual principle. That the spirit of the living God, a life-giving spirit, flows into the places that are most barren and dead. That's his heart. That's where he likes to go. And you see this all through the scriptures. Uh, you see it in the first page of scripture when the whole creation is formless and void and the spirit hovers and breathes life. Uh, one of the greatest pictures is another vision of Ezekiel. He, he, the, the angel takes him to look at this valley where these leering skeletons, evidently slaughtered in battle, are all over the floor of the valley. And the, the, the spirit falls on the skeletons and they clatter and they come back to life as a mighty army. And that's what the Spirit loves to do. Breathe life into dry places. You know, I think I stepped into the, the river a little bit last night. Some of you were there. Uh, I, I, Sandy and I went to the River and Rail Theater Company kickoff fundraiser at the Emporium, which was just delightful. Uh, a number of our folks acted in it and did a tremendous job. Josh and Amelia Peterson and spearheading that. And I was so moved when Josh got up and shared his vision for the company, vision of bringing the stories of theater to people who rarely get to experience art. And talked about the the unique model they have. Frankly, I don't know if anybody else in the country is doing where they're trying to set it up in such a way that for every person that goes and pays for a ticket, someone from an at-risk community can can also come and, and, and encounter uh, the, the power of art. And I thought, man, the river's flowing east. That's what Christians do. Now, they didn't necessarily put crosses all over everything, and you know we didn't sing a hymn in the beginning and the end, but the river was flowing, flowing towards the parts of our community that don't get much art. Well, the river starts as a trickle, but it doesn't stay that way for long. This is a very interesting part of the vision. The guy's got a measuring rod, the angel, and he measures out about uh, 500 yards. And, and, and by the way, this must be a vision because 
there's no water source on Mount Zion. I mean, the topography doesn't support it like this. This is a vision of it's coming from the Spirit. But this river starts flowing from the temple, and he goes down 500 yards and says, Ezekiel, get in, and he gets in, and it's down to his ankles. And then he takes him 500 yards further, he gets in, it's down to his knees, takes him 500 yards further, gets in, it's down to his waist. And then there's not a lot of detail in it, but what happens next is, is Ezekiel sort of is under the current, and he's swimming in the river. It's so deep that he can't walk through it anymore. The river grows wider and deeper as it flows. And in one way, that vision was also fulfilled at Pentecost. The river of the Spirit began to flow in Jerusalem. Soon it began to flow into Ethiopia and Libya and Gaul. And the river widens and deepens today every time a Spirit-led missionary like Danny takes the gospel to a tribe in Kenya. I think it's a, it's a vision in, in part of the church spreading and drawing others to Christ. But, but I think there's also a picture here about life in the Spirit. When you think about the spiritual life, as I reflected on it this week, and, and it reminded me of what it's like to follow Christ. When you decide that you want to follow Christ, uh, you, you kind of put your foot into the river and and that's okay for a while. It's a little scary, a little wet. Then you get to trust him a little more. You put your, you go into your knees. You trust him a little more. You go up to your waist. But it, it strikes me that that's where it gets crazy. And you have to decide whether or not you're going to keep going down the river and pick your feet up and start swimming. When we teach kids swim lessons, that's a big, big moment uh, in their swimming is when they take their feet off the bottom. Because if you, if you can remember how you learned to swim, if you learned how to swim, that's terrifying. It's counterintuitive. But that's what happens here to the prophet. He, he is swept up by the river and his feet are gone and now he's swimming with it. And one of the things that, that strikes me about it, when I think about my own life, it's not always our choice. You know, have you ever been in a mountain stream and, and tried to hike or walk across it? Or if, if, you've, if you've been in any kind of a rushing environment, it's really easy to slip. And one of the things that strikes me is, in my life, I haven't always intended to go under the river. <laughs> but it's been an accident. It's been a mistake. It's been a, a slippery rock. And before I know it, I'm going down the river. And I think the spiritual life can be like that, too. We, we kind of plan it all out. We kind of got God here. We got us here. Uh, it's all working. We think we know the principles. And it's all going according to design. And we'll get in maybe knee-deep, maybe waist-deep. But we're careful. We don't want to get our hair wet. Just got our hair done. That was one of my favorite excuses I got once for not wanting to be baptized. Is she just had her hair done. But so you, you, uh, you don't want to get your hair wet. And before you know it, something blows into your life. You trip, you slip, you're underwater, and you're... You're flowing. You're going. 
could you be there tonight? I mean, I got a little something in my life we all do that I wish wasn't going on. Just kind of thinking about during worship, going back in and out. I bet most of you have something like that going on. Some things that maybe you just wish weren't there, you wish were different, that you didn't plan, it wasn't what you intended. Maybe the Lord wants you to slip on a rock. Maybe He wants you to lose control and let go. Let the river take you. Well, the angel leads Ezekiel back to the shore. As I went back, I saw on the bank of the river very many trees on the one side and on the other. There aren't trees in Palestine. They're very scarce. So in the Bible, a fruitful, healthy tree becomes a symbol for God's blessing and protection. The psalmist talks about a godly person being like a stable tree. Hosea talks about all the nations coming under the cedar of Lebanon to rest. Jesus talks about the kingdom of God as a mighty, growing tree. So the picture here is that the water of the Spirit flows. The life-giving water of the Spirit flows into the dry places in your life and in your world, and then starts to give birth to things that give protection and life and shelter and joy. And I think of Cabrew. Some of you know about Cabrew. Uh, the river got a hold of Pierce Lamachi a while back, gave him a vision of creating a very special coffee shop in Old North. In ancient desert cultures, everybody gathered to do life under a big tree. In our culture, we gathered to do life at a coffee shop. And I can't tell you how many conversations I've had where somebody says, you know, I was talking with my friend at Cabrew, and, and how many times I drive by there, and I see people with their laptops open, their Bibles open, having conversations, digging into each other's lives. I see a lot of you doing that. A lot of you are that kind of tree. Well, then the angel says, and get this, when the water flows into the sea, it becomes fresh. You probably know the Dead Sea is six times saltier than uh, uh, an ocean. Nothing lives in it. Uh, it's entirely barren. It can't support life. What happens? When the life-giving water of the Spirit flows into the, uh, the, the Dead Sea, Fresh water replaces the toxic water, and now it can sustain life. And so you have fish. What happens when you have fish? You have fishermen. What happens when you have fishermen? You have more fishermen. Then you have nets on the shore. What happens when you have nets on the shore? You have people who they pay to fix the nets. And you have people who pay to build the boats where the nets go. And then you have people who pay to fix the boats when the boats sink. And before you know it, you've got fishing villages, and you've got this all this flourishing life because the life-giving spirit is flowing into the place of death. I live in Bruce and Lynn Charles neighborhood, and uh, nearly every night I drive home. One of the things that I that I see when I drive home, I often drive home late at night, is uh, a car in front of their house and a light on in their kitchen. And one of the reasons why is Bruce mentors entrepreneurs. He Helps them figure out if they have a good idea or not. He waters the tiny seed. He helps it grow. And now, I don't know, as many as 40 or 50 people come and sit around Bruce's table. And many of their businesses are 
flourishing and employing people and bringing life. And, and if you talk to them, everybody I know that's working with Bruce has a, a subtle but distinct kingdom presence in their vision. There's, you can smell the spirit. You can feel the, the spray of the river as it flows through Bruce. Bruce and I met with Daryl Arnold recently. Uh, Daryl's over at Overcoming Believers in East Knoxville. and We were there five minutes and Bruce had disappeared. And I'm thinking, what on earth has happened? Well, Bruce had found Adam. And Adam is this incredibly gifted artist. If you've ever been over to OBC, they have this children's uh, house that looks like Disney World with all these dragons and, and all these incredibly things that, that Adam has made. But Adam has not been able to figure out how to uh, earn a living with his art. And so Bruce was talking to him and has continued to talk with him about how to uh, make a living as an artist in East Knoxville. And so now the next thing that's happening is Daryl wants to talk to Bruce about doing a clinic for entrepreneurs at OBC with people who have a vision for uh, flourishing in East Knoxville. The river is flowing east. Now Austin Church is one of the people that sits around uh, Bruce's table and Austin tells me, and Austin exaggerates a bit, so take this with a, with a grain of salt, but um, that Bruce is now an urban legend and that he, people have come up to Austin and said, have you heard about Bruce Charles? Do you think he'd sit with me? And Austin says that young entrepreneurs have even invented a new verb to be bruced. So there you have it. There you have it. Now, I don't know if that's a good verb or a bad verb. Now, there's a little detail, and sometimes I find in visions that the little details are where you get some of the richest stuff. But its swamps and marshes will not become fresh. They're to be left for salt. Now, that's, that's kind of interesting, isn't it? Because this life-giving river, I mean, marshes aren't the coolest place around. They stink. You get stuck in them. Um, you know, if I were doing this vision, you know, the whole thing would be green and fresh. But in the spirits ecosystem, you still have to have a little bit of a marsh. Well, people explain to me, of course you do, because you need salt for life. They needed salt in the temple. But I wondered if there wasn't a spiritual principle there too, in, the, in that we all have these places in our life where, where the life-giving spirit has poured and healed and renewed and transformed. And you look at it and you think, how? God has done so much. I'm so thankful. Wow. But can't you get rid of that stinking marsh? It smells. I get stuck in it. Please, Lord, take all of it. And maybe it's the Lord's way to leave some stink. Maybe it's kind of this life where there's always a little bit of sticky marsh left in my life. Even though I wish it weren't. That's the way it is in my life. And then the vision ends, and I, I love this. Both sides of the river, there's all kind of trees for food. Their leaves don't wither. Their fruit doesn't fail. They bear fruit every month. I, I'm not a, a farmer, but that seems unique. Usually there's seasons for fruit bearing. Uh, and, and I think the idea is that there's continual fruitfulness, ongoing fruitfulness because of the river. The trees provide food for the people who have moved to the fishing villages. They're so vital that they provide healing. They're 
I don't know what you'd say. They're uh, like, like medicinal herbs that bring healing to the people in the village. And I, I've, I've often puzzled and sat and pondered about that last little vision. And, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a great way to think about your life. You know, you, you can think about your life as a river. And you can look back over your life and you can ask, what's the fruit along the side of the riverbank? I was born in Cleveland, Ohio, uh, not long before uh, the Cuyahoga River caught on fire. I don't know if some of you are old enough to remember that, but the Cuyahoga River was so polluted that somebody, I guess, threw a cigarette on it once, and the river exploded. <laughs> um, that's not, you know, a great river. But, it, <laughs> it, and, you know, if, if, you, if you look at the Cuyahoga River at that time, You'd see tar, you'd see dead carp, you'd see cigarette butts and beer cans. It's, it's better today, but that was the wake of the river, washed up debris and filth. And then if you see a, a healthy, life-giving river, there's, these one, there's fruit flourishing and healing. And so one of the things that you might think about as we end is look at your life. What, what's your river like? What, what's grown along the banks of your river? Because the Holy Spirit is a giver of life. And if he's flowing through your life, there's going to be at least a little bit of fruit and at least a little bit of healing. Let's pray.